what is the church? That is the question I had to wrestle with this week in Systematic Theology 2, and that is what we're going to talk about today. Welcome back, everybody, to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. This is the show where I recap the things that I'm studying in grad school right now. And I'm so glad that you have come back for a week on ecclesiology, that is, the study of the church. What is the church? What is the role of the church? When did the church get started? We're going to talk about all of that today. But before we do, I wanted to let you all know that we're on Facebook and Instagram. You might know that already, but hey, check us out on there at My Seminary Life Pod if you haven't followed us yet. So you can see things like our weekly, and here I go again using plural pronouns, even though it's just me, my weekly coffee break devotional. This is a devotional completely separate from everything going on here on the show, but it's all about continuing to help us grow deeper and experience God more in our life. I'm going through the book of Luke right now. Looking at this past week when Mary and Elizabeth are come together they're both they both are going to be uh, they're both pregnant by this point Elizabeth with John the Baptist Mary with soon to be Jesus and when Mary shows up Elizabeth's womb you know John the Baptist leaps for joy and then Mary launches into the magnificent this beautiful hymn of praise and the big takeaway from this week's coffee break was this we can praise God even before he does the work those promises that God has made to us we can praise him for even before they come to pass. So you see what you're missing? Yeah, that's right. Follow us on Facebook and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at my seminary life pod. So you can continue to get those weekly updates, but Hey, let's turn to our actual conversation. Now, what is the church? This was a difficult one to write only because as opposed to previous conversations, this isn't as controversial. There's one area in this that might be a little controversial, but for the most part, we're pretty straightforward on what is the church and how did the church come to pass? A lot of what I have to say here is rooted in Acts 2, 42 through 47 of what is the church. The church is is a gathering of disciples of Jesus, devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. That is baseline Acts 2.42. That is what the church is. It is disciples of Jesus coming together to continue to learn about him, to fellowship with one another, to pray, to break bread, which some commentators say is specifically the idea of communion, but it could also just be sharing a meal together. That is what the church is supposed to be. Throughout the rest of this section, verses 43 through 47, we also can add to that that the church is supposed to be uh, believers who are taking care of one another's needs, apostles doing miraculous signs, they gathered at the temple and it shared meals with one another and praised God. So what we gather from the rest of that section is that along with 
studying God's word, along with fellowshipping, along with praying, we get additional things like taking care of one another, taking care of each other's needs. It's a big part of being a gathering of disciples of Jesus. Praise. It's a general term. It's not specifically saying singing hymns or using instruments or singing the newest worship songs, but but praise, some form of praise is attributed here. That is a normal part of church gathering life. Sharing meals together, again, this idea of fellowshipping and partaking in one another's lives, and also gathering at the temple. And as we know, that didn't last very long. Eventually, they're kicked out of the church, or excuse me, they're kicked out of the temple by the Sanhedrin. And then, throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see these regional gatherings of believers, of disciples forming. You know, Paul goes out and he's starting these regional groups of people. So what I'm trying to say here is not so much that we need a temple, that we need a building, but the church is a regional gathering of believers. Okay, I'm not trying to get hung up on semantics or on buildings, but what we see here is more of an emphasis on getting together with other people than we do actually meeting in a physical building, which was a hot topic here in 2020 as we all switched to online media church. But what is significant is the gathering of believers together, not the building, per se. There does seem to always be an intended gathering of location, initially the temple, but worked out in the rest of church history. The emphasis, however, in Acts 2, 42 through 47, is less on where the believers are gathering and more on what the believers did together. And again, what we see that the believers did together over and over again was devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles, fellowshipping, prayer, praise, and taking care of one another. The emphasis is more on the what rather than the where. And I think that's something that we need to get back to in our understanding of the church, of ecclesiology. That... We are a gathering of disciples, going back to everything that we talked about last quarter. We are a gathering of disciples who are devoting ourselves to studying God, roll credits on this own, on my own show. We are here to know God more and to fellowship with one another and to declare his greatness to build our, maybe a better way to put it is to build on our relationship with him as we deal with prayer and praise, growing in our relationship with him. To answer the question of when did the church start, I think there's two ways that we can look at it. The simplest answer is, I would say, the church started at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, just before this section on what the early church started doing, we have 
the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles. It's Pentecost. Peter proclaims his message, and it says in verse 41 that 3,000 souls were added to the gathering. That's awesome, by the way. That's amazing. So I think we could say that, in part, the church started at Pentecost after the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and after Peter declared his message. I think that's like the very literal, like, check the box answer. However, there is a number of preluding events that have to take place in order for us to get to this point of the church starting. Of course, the big one being Jesus. Jesus is an instrumental part of God's sovereign plan to start the church. There is no Christianity without Jesus dying and coming back to life. There is no there is no movement of people towards Jesus without Jesus. We have to have Jesus in order to have the church. So we have to have everything that happened in Jesus's life, especially his death and resurrection, in order to get to the church. However, there's one other key player that I think, and I don't know why, in God's sovereign plan, why he chose this person, but I think without this plan, without this part of the plan, we don't have the church, and that is Peter. Matthew 6 or excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, and on this rock, I will build my church. And commentators debate as to who Jesus is specifically referring to there. Is he referring to himself on this rock, me, I will build my church? Or is he referring to Peter and on this rock, I will build my church? Peter plays a significant role in the birth of the church. Jesus is seemingly commissioning him here. By the way, I think that this is more of a both and situation. We need both Jesus and Peter to get to the birth of the church. Why? I don't know. That seems to be God's sovereign plan, though, was to have both of these men, primarily Jesus and secondary Peter, to start the church. Am I starting to argue for headship of Peter in the church? Not necessarily, but I definitely do sound a little bit more Catholic than I normally do right now. Peter is a significant player in the birth of the church. On this rock, who does Jesus specifically recommission after his resurrection? End of the book of John, it is Peter who he says three times, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus is very specifically concerned about calling Peter back to following him and being a part of the work of the kingdom. And it's Peter who preaches the message at Pentecost. And it's Peter throughout most of the first half of the book of Acts that is the primary focus of the launch of the church. Who is it that receives the vision that it's okay for the Gentiles to come to know Jesus as Savior? That's right, it's Peter, and I forgot to include that in my answer. Whoops. Peter is a significant player in the birth of the church by God's sovereign will, by the Father's sovereign will. We have to have the death and resurrection of Jesus, and for whatever reason in God's wisdom, we have to have Peter 
to also have the birth of the church. The church consists of people who have put their faith in Jesus and have received the Holy Spirit as an inward seal of their faith. That is who is in the church. It is believers in Jesus. Acts 4.12 makes it very clear that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Sorry, that was like both King James and also ESV. That's what I mostly have been raised on. But the Bible is clear. It is by faith in Jesus that you are saved. You That is the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. You can only come to the Father through Jesus. We have to have Jesus. But there's also a significance of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Again, the church is kicked off after the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and the rest of the apostles. The church was not started by people in their own strength and ability. The church was started through the power and sustained through the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples of Jesus are sustained through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also see in these very peculiar instances in the book of Acts, these moments where people have faith, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. I'm looking at Acts 8.14 for reference, if you want to check that out later, where they had to, the, Peter and the other apostles had to come to lay hands on people in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a significant part of being a part of the church. You have to have the Holy Spirit in order to be part of the church, and it's by faith that we receive the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an outward seal. Baptism is, I don't want to say optional, because it is commanded still. But baptism is... If someone is not baptized, I do believe that they are part of the church still. This is me coming from a more traditional Baptist background of believer's baptism, where you are baptized after you receive faith in Jesus, after you pronounce, profess faith in Jesus. So if someone was to have a deathbed confession and they're not baptized, I would believe that they are saved. I would count them to be part of the universal church, this everybody who has ever had faith in Jesus. But as we see in the Great Commission, which we're going to get to here in a second, baptism is expected still to happen in a believer's life. And what is the word, which then brings us to what is the role of the church in the world today? Obviously, what we've talked about earlier, if a church, if a gathering of disciples are not devoting themselves to the teaching of God's word, to the teaching of the apostles, if they are not there for authentic relationship with each other, if they are not caring for one another's needs, if they're not spending time in prayer and praise, then why are we doing any of this? Those are baseline things that need to be happening in a gathering of believers. And note that I keep saying, trying to keep saying gathering of believers. 
I am not anti-house church. Okay? I am not anti-house church movement. There are some great house churches out there. And yes, there are some not so great house churches out there, just like how there's some great Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational churches out there. And then there are some that, why, why are we even doing this? Why are we even gathering together right now? Is it out of habit? Yes, that's why we're doing this. We're doing this out of habit. So a gathering of believers needs to be concerned with learning about God, experiencing him more in their life, growing in their relationship with him, and also growing in their relationship with other believers and taking care of each other, showing love to one another. But also, as we learn from the Great Commission in both Matthew 8, or I keep reading these wrong, Matthew 8, or Matthew 28, good Lord, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 in Acts 1-8, that the role, the mission of the disciples, that is all disciples, is to declare the gospel wherever we go. We are to continually taking the gospel out wherever we go, making disciples, baptizing them, that does come up. And we do this, as Acts 1.8 points out, at, when we receive power from the Holy Spirit, the church, the gathering of believe, the gathering of disciples operates, is sustained, and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Anything less is us in our own strength. So that is what the church is. The church is a gathering of disciples. It got started at Pentecost after some very necessary preluding events. And at Pentecost, 3,000 souls joined the apostles and the other already established believers in devoting themselves to fellowshipping with one another, to growing in their relationship with God, to taking care of one another, and to learning more about him through his word. And now the church is supposed to continue be, to be doing that, taking the gospel wherever we go, making disciples and baptizing them. That is the church. And that all seems very theoretical upon reflection, that there are various ways that that can be done. And that is true. There are various ways that that can be done. I'm going to talk about this more on Wednesday, but my... my um, preaching ministry, that's something that I see almost week after week is different ways that churches do Sunday morning. Or as I talk to my friends who have house churches, how they do whatever they gather together. It doesn't have to be Sunday morning. Most most of the time doesn't seem to be Sunday morning at all. There are different ways to worship God among a gathering of believers. There is room for, I don't want to say experimentation. There's room for different ways to do it. And as you're listening to this episode and we start wrapping things up, I want to say that hopefully this gives you a lens now to analyze your own church, whether you're a pastor, a volunteer, or just a normal, regular Sunday morning person who maybe helps out with Bible study or something, if you're just a normal person, hopefully this gives you a lens to maybe 
View your own church. How's your church doing with fellowship? How's your church doing in the teaching department of God's word? How is the prayer and praise life at your church? Are you taking care of one another? Are you encouraged to take the gospel wherever you go and make disciples? Is baptism occurring regularly? This is this is a checklist that we who are concerned about our church's health, our gatherings' health, these are things that we can reflect on that we can then say, well, maybe we need to improve in this area. You know, we're we we say we're a praying church, but are are we really a praying church? We say that we're concerned about, you know, the you know, the Bible teaches that we're supposed to be concerned about the teaching of God's word, but are we just sitting around listening to podcasts? Which podcasts are good, obviously. I'm gonna endorse listening to podcasts, obviously. But are you listening to podcasts or are you studying God's word together? Those are two different things. Hopefully this gives you a lens to maybe reflect on your own home church, your own home gathering. And hopefully my prayer would be that your gathering can grow, can become healthier through these reflections and conversations. Maybe, maybe especially if you have a home church gathering, Maybe this can be something that you all can sit down and wrestle with yourselves one or two or three Sundays of, hey, why are we doing this? Are we still on pace? Are we doing what a church should be doing? Regular check-ins are a healthy thing that need to happen. Well, that's all I got for today on the My Seminary Life. So let's, my seminary part. So let's head on over now to the My Life part. So, Like I said, last week and on Sunday, there was no episode last week because I was out of town for winter camp, for youth winter camp. I have never been to youth winter camp before. This is the first time I've ever been. I never went in youth group because I did not understand the fascination of being cold and wet for an entire weekend. And I will say I was cold, but I wasn't necessarily wet the entire weekend. We had a good time. I had the eighth, the sixth and eighth grade boys, and I usually lead the eighth grade boys. So it was, it was exhausting. It was tiring, but it was fun spending some time with some great sixth grade boys. I, you don't usually hear that being declared, but these were some great sixth grade boys. I was definitely tired of talking about Marvel by the end of the weekend, but I think I'm back and ready to talk about Marvel again. I'm going to have to be. I am still on systematic ecology after all. But yeah, we had a great weekend. A couple kids got saved as well. I don't think it was anybody from our campus, but uh, either way, the Holy Spirit was moving and brought some students from death into life. And that is awesome. That is exciting. More exciting than combat archery in the snow, which was something the students all love to do. Hey, before we get out of here, also, just so you know, there is a brand new episode of One More Thing coming out this coming Wednesday featuring Joshua Knoll, my good buddy Josh from the Whole Church Podcast. And he's going to be here primarily to talk about church unity, what he has learned from running a church unity podcast. And he's also going to, well, give us our best pitch for why there needs to be a Captain Planet reboot. Hard-hitting news here on My Seminary Life. All right, well, I've had a good time talking about the church today. I hope you have had a good time listening to what the church is today. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us. So that way it helps the algorithm for other people to find the show. Or you could always just text your buddy the link to this show and say, hey, check this out. This guy's kind of interesting. Also, we're now on Apple Podcasts for real for keeps this time. There was a distribution issue uh, sometime during the fall, and I finally had time to sit down and to correct it. So we are on Apple Podcasts now, the the king of podcasts, the the home of podcasts, and which means we should be on Overcast here pretty soon for all of you who want the the other version of Apple Podcasts. That's what I think Overcast is. It's just the other Apple Podcast. Whatever. Spotify and Anchor are the same way. Um, which is where we're also at. Definitely find us on there. If wherever you're listening to this show, you can make sure all your friends know we're on most of the big platforms. And did you also know you can email the show now? That's right. That's why you got to follow us on Facebook, y'all. We're on. We You can now email the show Email seminarylife at gmail.com. Email seminarylife at gmail.com. Send me your questions, comments, concerns, limericks, poems. That's a joke one of my old profs used to say. All right. Well, that is all I have for today. Thank you for listening. And as always, keep on studying. (laughs) 